Welcome back to another episode of the Perfect Movie Soundtrack, where the movie needs the soundtrack as much as the soundtrack needs the movie. Except, not really. We're doing something a little different for you this week. We've put together a special Halloween episode, and to celebrate, we decided to put on a costume. All right, everyone, tuck in. It's so nice to have you on this week's episode of The Perfect TV Soundtrack, where, as you know, we spend our days and nights thinking about the theme songs that introduce your favorite television shows. I'm Heather Samples. I'm Matt Lombardi. I'm Joshua. And I'm Joshua Weber. <laughs> and I'm Matt Lombardi. And I'm Joshua Weber. <laughs> <laughs> um, tonight, we are focused on the top 10 all-time television theme songs ever. We've been building to it. And as Joshua says, we've been building toward it. We've spent an entire year, in fact, over our Zooms, studying all of American television since its dawn. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and at number 10, we finally enter the golden age of must-watch mm-hmm. TV. Must-see TV. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thursday Fuck. night. I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes to show you how much I cared about must-see TV. I, Thursday I, nights, baby. What I, What were you yeah. doing? Well, You were just going to let the tossed salad and scrambled eggs sit there without you? I, I don't know. What? I actually don't no know. No courtesy what... laugh for my Frasier reference? It's a, I, did, I had no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I protested silently. Jeez. <laughs> um, so now they think that number 10 is going to be tossed salad and scrambled eggs. But of course, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know it's not because 17 weeks ago, we already covered that song in number, I think it was number 242. I, that's not the top of my head. I'm, I could be wrong about that. But I, I think it was right around 242, maybe 243 um, when we we did the Frasier theme. Uh, you yeah. know, ranked pretty low. That was pretty controversial to a lot of our uh, podcast <laughs> yeah. fans out there. I, we were getting flamed for putting um, the Mad About You theme ahead of it. Oh, man. People were pissed. <laughs> well, you know Alan what? Hunt called me up. Guys, just Real so you mad. know, just to keep you interested and on the edge of your spooky Halloween seats, Mad About You will come back up, I assure you, even though <gasps> it has, really? it does not appear in the top 10. Um, but... Number Ooh, 10. Teaser. There's a tease. <laughs> Man, all the Mad About You fans just got their, their, we, their Google alerts. That was, remember crazy. that song? Going no. to the final oh, frontier. Yeah, of course I do, because we just did it a, however many <laughs> weeks ago. 17 weeks ago. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Number 10 is the Rembrandts and Friends. You want to say the name of the song, too? I'll be there for you. <laughs> All right, who's going to sing it? When you love life, be away. And you're always stuck in second gear, right? Yeah. Isn't it second yeah. gear thing? When it hasn't been a month, a week, a day, or even your year. And then Joshua, you know this part. I'll be there for you. He texts me that every morning. <laughs> Does it say when the rain starts to fall? Yeah. Or pour. Okay. Pour. 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 Okay. That's, what's the point of that? Well, you know what, guys? The only people who hate this song more than we do are 
the people who recorded it, the Rembrandts. Oh, is this true? <laughs> yeah, this this is this is like oh, a Oh man. This hating it all the way to the bank though. Well, they just made the top ten. They just made the perfect TV soundtrack top ten. They did. Complaints over Rembrandts. Well Yeah, what were what like, were the Rembrandts other aspirations? Well, maybe to like be I think taken they were real seriously. Band. Yeah. So uh let's back up a minute and and say uh that initially, when the producers of Friends started thinking about their theme song, they, and these are like old heads, like old head sitcom TV people, right? Like they had been around the block, they knew what they were looking for, they understood this machine, and they approached REM and said, can we please have shiny, happy people? Oh my God! Might be the worst REM song. That's so funny. Definitively the worst REM song. Uh, now that uh. I'm thinking of the guitar hooks, though, <laughs> I can hear a little. You can understand similarity why they, uh-huh. with the yeah. little jangly yeah. guitar hook. But no matter how you feel about REM, uh, and and sidebar, you'd be wrong to feel anything other than like a a, a deep respect and love. Um, you 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 must at the very least understand that Michael Stipe was never going to say yes to handing oh, shiny yeah. happy people over to NBC, <laughs> right? Possible. Um, <laughs> and so the producers were like, "Okay, fuck, what next?" And and the fucking uh, and Matt, you're going to love this. this. Is right up your alley. Um, the consolidated corporate media infrastructure came to the <laughs> rescue, and Warner mm, Brothers Television. Awesome. Went to Warner <laughs> Brothers Records and said, yep. give us a fucking band who can record this song that, yes. that our producers have written the lyrics for. Not all heroes wear capes. Oh, <laughs> interesting. I didn't know they didn't even write the lyrics. Those are no. sitcom lyrics. And the Rembrandts. This deserves were... a spot at top 10. I like this. This is a great backstory. <laughs> the Rembrandts were essentially forced to record the song. Like they were bullied into it by, by their record label, Warner Brothers, so much that they had essentially no choice in the matter. Like Prince levels of the record company owns me. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so they have to record it with the lyrics that the producers and creators of the show wrote. It becomes a fucking hit. The yeah. Rembrandts. It was yeah. everywhere. And they were in the video everywhere. with all the actors with yes. David Schwimmer like dancing around them. They, I remember that video. They um they were trying to like thread the needle between taking the money that was coming when that was the money mm-hmm. that was coming and not setting themselves up for like a career failure as a result and being taken seriously. They never quite did that. They tried. They they have like denounced the song. They denounced it. Well, they, they, like, yeah, maybe that wasn't the right verb choice, but like, they they definitely made very clear, like, this was this was a forced confession, essentially. Yeah. Um, sure. And when when it went so uh, so when it was so popular, there was a DJ, like a local radio station, I think in somewhere in Ohio which sidebar tracks and uh and he like he constructed it the the one minute or whatever it was designed to actually be and extended it into a typical radio length song which then became so popular that once again the Rembrandts were essentially forced to go back and record a typical length version wow. of it mm-hmm. at which point they added another verse and like a little bit more to it musically and uh and made it a a, a regular old like 
90s pop song. But I would like to pour one out for the Rembrandts because... Oh, come on. I think it's just... A, oh, it's like it's a terrible I think we gotta, next Faustian bargain. Next time they tour, we got to go. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm not sure that will ever happen. The Rembrandts uh, might be the most 90s name for a band I've ever heard. I promise you there is some there is somebody out there who flexes that they were into the Rembrandts like their first de- demo or something. You know, <laughs> right, they yeah, were like, sure. I had that demo. They were awesome, man. It's such a perfect 90s coffee shop band name. Yes. The it's Rembrandts. A, it's it's so funny perfect. to me. It's totally constructed. The song is constructed. The show is constructed. It's wild. It makes the top 10, I think, because it is such an earworm. And yeah, and everybody. Yeah, it's catchy as hell. It's catchy as hell. Everybody knows it. And uh, and I think it actually really perfectly captures the tone and mood of the show. Um, yeah. It, yeah, sure. it really, really, really does. And th- that's part of why it's a shitty song. <laughs> Double edged sword there. Double edged sword. It also is a uh, a really good break song from Seinfeld. And it's uh you know so like that you know just like it's, it's kind of dour sort of or tone to it yeah. you know and so yeah, they're just yeah. like gonna bust yeah. that out and kick down the door and be like we're we're got colorful yeah. umbrellas and we're and giant mugs that we drink yeah. coffee out of yeah we don't play weird slap bass <laughs> we <laughs> we pick out we pick out cool little riffs on guitars that are happy we drink and lattes out of soup bowls do you know who else <laughs> snubbed the friends people this is something I recently learned. They came to Cameron Crowe and were like, we want to make singles into a sitcom. What the fuck? They had such audacity. <laughs> they were like, we're just going to go around to everybody and ask them to be uh-huh. part of our shit. I heard they tried to get Jim Jarmusch to direct the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, my God. I just want to say the best thing about this being number 10 is... Everybody can finally stop calling me and texting me and blowing up our socials about when we're going to get to the Friends theme for (laughs) 500 something songs now. Uh, you know, week after week after week, commitment you guys didn't here, get the to commitment. friends yet. How high is it going to be? How high is it going to be? Well, now you know. Commitment. People were now wondering if know. we were going to make a statement and snub it all together. But Heather begged us to put her wedding song on the list, so we did. <laughs> Matt and I really tried to snub it, but Heather was like, you cannot. I, I will leave the TV soundtrack podcast forever. Do you want to have a girl on the show or not? You think Chandler, Joey, and Ross would be funny? She's doing the job of three women all at once. She's flighty Phoebe. She's sexy Rachel. And she is neurotic Monica. You can tell I watched the show. That was pretty good off the top of my head. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was good. Number nine. All the way Glenn Miller played. <laughs> songs that made the hit parade. G.R. Old oh, LaSalle ran great. <laughs> Those were the days. And you knew where you were then. Girls were girls and men were men. Mr. We could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. In the family theme, those were the days. Composed by Lee Adams and Charles Strauss, the duo behind Bye Bye Birdie and a bunch of other uh, Broadway hits. 
and performed, of course, by the stars of the show, Carol O'Connell and Gene Stapleton, who sang the song at the beginning of the episode because Norman Lear had spent so much money on the pilot, he didn't have much money left to create a dynamic opening sequence. So he was like, hey, how about you guys just sit at the piano and sing it? Which is actually I love a very it. brilliant beginning. Norman, um, Norman Lear is the goat. You are introduced to so much through this song. A lot of the themes preceding this are, are story themes. You know, we talked, I think it was like uh, number, what did Brady Bunch come in at? 72? <laughs> I think, story. you know, songs I'm like Brady Bunch that, uh, that, no, no, you know, no, 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 story. no, Bra- Brady Bunch was 62. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. 62. Gosh, dang it. We, we, so it was number 62. We argued about that one for a long time. Yeah, and and uh, you know that tells you the story that that sets you up by saying here's the characters, here's where they are, here's what they're doing. Uh-huh. But this beginning, it doesn't tell you the story of the characters. Instead, it has the qu- characters sing the kind of song that the characters would like. Mm-hmm. It's a show, don't tell. It's a show, don't tell. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It feels like a very beautiful theatric moment. You know what else that song mm-hmm. does? It always connected the two characters for me because they were always at yes. such odds and he was could be such a raging dick and she was all like, you know, worried and kind of mm-hmm. doting and she had her whole thing and you never understood what their relationship was like. And then when they would sit down and sing that song, you understood why they got married, what, what worldview they share. And I think it's very successful on that front. Further to that point, it was the first sitcom that didn't have the married couple in twin beds with a lamp in between them. Uh, yes. They shared oh. a bed. Mm-hmm. So that is hot. The idea that that yes, they argue a lot, you know, they're they're at odds, but you see from the very beginning of the show that they are a committed married couple who oddly somehow does love each other despite their weird relationship. Um, it is, of course, um, a show and a song that pines for a, a a prior age, an age where where what's the where girls girls were girls and men were men. How's it go? When girls were girls and men were men. Oh, Mister, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. Need no welfare state. Everybody pulls their weight. Gr old LaSalle ran great. Those were the days. Yeah. So it's like this. Make America for, great again. And, a, and a mat, <laughs> yes, it's 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 very make America great again. It's pining for a, an idea of an America that is sort of this this pseudo imagined thing because you know herbert hoover is of course the president of the depression and hooverville you know mm-hmm. this idea that yep. bringing hubert hoover back is like a good thing but of course the show He's is a notoriously bad president yeah and yep. the show is meant to be a satire the show is meant by norman lear to be a criticism of this and i think that you know there's a longer conversation to be had about how successful this sort of criticism is uh you know i there's tons of people out there who would argue that actually the bigots who um thought like Archie Bunker didn't get the joke, you know, and, and they, oh, just and they, they loved them sing themselves and they loved him. My so, mom always talks know. about how they would sit down with their family and they'd be watching yeah. it on two different levels and her sure. and my uncle yeah. would be laughing at it and love it. And then like uncle Lou and uncle Joe, they'd be like that Archie. Cause see, they give him good lines too, but they were just yeah. rooting for him the whole time. And they, yeah, didn't, and, they didn't get it was a doing research for this. I ended up on some like Reddit boards about this song and stuff. And, you know, there's people who still think these lyrics are serious. Like there's people who are like, you know what? I they're sure are right. You know, remember, remember the good old days when yeah. when girls were girls and men were men. And, and you, know, separate bathrooms. you know, they still have this <laughs> idea that this is like a real thing. And they wish that that this was happening. They, they, you know, so people still don't get 
that it's supposed to be a satire. Oh, yeah. You could almost run an election and ruin a country on this concept. <laughs> We're yes. trying to very yes. hard right now. We're going to see how far <laughs> yeah. we can take yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Place this your is bets. Just, you know, <laughs> this has just been a Norman Lear experiment <laughs> gone, gone awry. Right, yes. But um, if, if, you, if you are capable of understanding, if you're capable of reading media and uh, understanding the satire, it's um, a really lovely song that captures a feeling and a spirit and an idea that then the rest of the episode is going to dismantle because you're going to constantly see Archie create ideas or, or try to defend positions that make no sense and everybody else point out how illogical his ideas are and everybody involved in the show is is trying to point out that this is a nonsense worldview um, but you know hey does that work did people miss it yeah perhaps people did miss it but uh you know, well, maybe, enough people must have got it. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter whether people have missed it or not. Either way, the song really sets up the viewing experience. So for the people who don't understand its satire, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm back in Archie's world. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and like the, this is my viewpoint reflected back at me. And for the people who do get it, they're they're like, ha ha ha. And I'm back in this world. Like. Ultimately, I think that's one of the things that we've come to appreciate about looking at these these TV theme songs is how they prepare you for what is actually a pretty short form viewing experience, mm, mm -hmm. which which if you think about like the the actual logistics of sitting down and watching television, particularly in a pre streaming era, a pre binging era, you have to kind of like do a cognitive shift to be in the mm. world for this very short period of time, right? And that's true whether you're only watching one 30-minute sitcom or whether you're doing a must-see TV thing and you're watching four of them in a row. The, this is not a time when people were used to 15-second you know, time mm -hmm. spans and attention spans. So that effort to like land people in the space, bring them into the world quickly, drop them in so that from the first opening scene of the actual episode, you're in the world, I think is a, is actually like a pretty big creative problem for mm -hmm. the theme songs to solve. Yeah, because, yeah. and you, it's funny how you mentioned how people are going to sit down for a longer time because they're basically condensing the overture, right? Yes, before totally. before the show or theater begins, you hear yeah. the whole sweep of the whole um, production, and they're like, "Okay, how can we cram it?" And then once they're successful, you're you're making me think of this right now. It's just Pavlo pa Pavlovian, yeah. Where yes, then you just hear it, and you're like, "I'm in Archie's world. I'm ready to, um, you know, be in Sex in the City Settle or in, whatever it is." Yes. And you, it just triggers, yeah. yeah, it just triggers it. Um, and it still works. If you haven't seen a show in like 20 years, and we've been yeah. going through these for 20 years, um, <laughs> you just sit down and you're instantly there. I find that with shows I used to watch. Yeah, and I think that that's like a particularly compelling uh when when you're no when you're not binging like when we're binging and we're you can watch eight episodes of something I don't you're gonna skip through most of the theme songs right because you don't need yeah. the assist that it gives you. Well, remember but, when the skip button came along because you'd be watching The Wire, or Sopranos on DVD, and then all of a sudden you I'm old enough to, to remember it. when the skip button came along. <laughs> Whoa! But I remember when I just pressed it and then I was like, oh, and it just like fades in because once you've seen it two or three times and you're like got to get over to the after that cliffhanger episode to the next one 
Yeah, the skip button is I, only for the people who like have a show on an IV drip, right? You're already yeah. catatonic. You're yeah. just like, keep feeding it to me. And it's one or two in the morning and you're like, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go like, to I'll bed. One and then, <laughs> yeah, and then your finger accidentally hits the skip intro button and you're like, oh, I'm already in. I guess I got to watch this. I think that one of the things that makes um, uh, most of the songs in, in the top 10, one of the things that got them there is that you're less likely to hit the skip button for them. Yeah. If this song comes on at the beginning of All in the Family, I want to hear this song. This is part of the show yeah. to me. Yep. Yep. It's, it sets it up. It feels right. Skipping and jumping right in would, would be weird. Mm-hmm. And with, even without thinking about the lyrics... It really just audibly always sounded nice to me. It was a little yeah. out of tune, but it was comforting and a very sweet. I love how out of tune plays it. I know. It makes it's it great. so yeah. authentic and like accessible and charming. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people always thought this was an actually an old song, that this was like an yeah. old standard that that Archie and, and Edith would be would play together on the piano. She would play the piano and he would sing with her. Oh, um, I don't think I learned not, otherwise until extremely yeah. recently. I think that that's kind of it feels like that, it right? Really it does. feels yeah. like that. Like that that's this is just some old song that they've been singing forever and uh so that's kind of a neat little trick is is that yeah. they know this is a this is a fake historic document in a way, right? Mm-hmm. A personal, a quick personal connection. When I was a kid, my mom made me and my sisters take piano lessons, and we took the Suzuki method, which is very serious v- thing where you have to pl- you only play like Bach and things like this. Like it's very intense. <laughs> I'd never heard. And of I had no, a- no heart and soul. N- no, Suzuki I had no method. aptitude for it. I was not good at it. My sisters were good at it. I was not good at it. I couldn't remember. You were not things. Suzuki material. <laughs> no, I was definitely not Suzuki material. And I, we took we took these lessons for a long time. And finally, after like years of of this, my teacher finally just gave in and was like, what do you want to play? And I was like, okay, cool. So let me go pick something that I want to play. And what I picked was the television theme songbook. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned how to play things like All in the Family. And I would sit at home and pound the piano and sing all the way Glenn Miller played. I don't remember them now, oh so don't God, ask me. But uh, to me, that was way more fun than trying yeah. to power through for Elise or something. Also, bless your Suzuki Method teacher for finally she caving. Really begrudgingly did it. I don't think she enjoyed it. And then she had to sit with me and like teach me these songs. You know, that was, must have been so beneath her. It's like I studied in Japan. And then she was suspended from the Suzuki community. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't say her name here so she won't be canceled. <laughs> By the, the hardcore Suzukians. <laughs> Number eight. Number eight. Eight, 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 Wow. That's eight. Eight theme songs. <laughs> I think. Step, step on my intro <laughs> So, sometimes in society... Or he or humanity itself. Wow, are you writing an essay for my class? <laughs> yeah, here comes here comes the big here comes sometimes <laughs> I'm gonna start over. Sometimes in society and sometimes humanity itself can just work out. <laughs> a place where parents and children can agree. Artists, academics, and TV personnel, and yes, even the government can all come together and make something good and lasting. And that rare gem is Can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street? Sweet, I was gonna say, 
debuted in 1969, and they just never left, looked back. They've used that song till this day. They've altered it here or there, um, but it's just still the core of the show and so many, a true siren song for, for the youth of America. And not and maybe even, even yeah, beyond. definitely beyond at this point. I mean, Sesame Street's been around since yeah. 1969. That's a lot of generations of kids who grew up with this song. And it just feels like something that everyone kind of was just all in on. Yes, absolutely. Like, it's hard It's hard to find someone who's like, fuck Sesame That's right. Street. That's right. It's Pretty rare. actually. Joshua's a little, Joshua's a little quiet over there, but I'm sure even Joshua, no, my, uh, between watching All in the Family, the first, would slip in some Sesame Street. The first Christmas present that I remember being completely in, excited about was uh, a little, uh, play set of the of the street it oh was like yes a, it was a, a fisher was like price a brownstone yeah. that, like yeah, that opened, opened up, up. Yeah. totally yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. my dad had like you know i think i must have been like three or something i was two or three and my dad had opened it up and put like put the characters out around so it like looked like they were out doing their yeah. Sesame street things yes and uh you know mm-hmm. i don't have a lot of memories from that age but i definitely remember that that christmas morning and seeing that thing that was sweet for sure yeah. And you were like, yeah, I'm oh, going. Yeah. Tell me how to get to Sesame Street <laughs> right now. <laughs> I will say, I think that, that Sesame Street and the Children's Television Workshop is truly one of the finest moments of uh, a public investment in, 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 yes. in the arts. Yeah. yeah. This is why I was doing my big sweeping intro. Because yeah. very few TV yeah. themes deserve it. And it's just become a cultural relic or not even a relic because it still has prominence but i looked into who wrote this siren song and do you guys know who I joe only Raposo know about is this because i'm a muppet stan matt <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so i'll give i'll give the rundown for our viewers but he was just Man, someday you know what we should do someday real quick Jay, hang on i just had an idea with your muppets thing made me have an idea when day we should do like movie soundtracks <laughs> we should do like muppet movies and things like that you know we, what, so, yeah. Whatever. Someday we'll do get that. to that. That sounds pretty cool. I don't think people care about movie soundtracks as much as TV soundtracks for children's shows. Definitely so. no one cares about movie soundtracks as much as we do. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to interrupt there. Happy Halloween. So Joe Raposo was just a guy who was a piano bar musician in Boston. And he was really good. And he would just be the guy playing the side music and was trying to work on some stuff. And a friend and someone who worked there or someone who went there a lot urged him to, you know, go to New York and follow his dreams. And he got into the music scene there and the theater scene cross paths with Jim Henson. And, Hmm. you know, this became his career. And he also, um, he wrote, it's not easy being green. You know, he was like in with it. And he wrote C is for cookie, Oh whoa! which many people speculate that he might've been the inspiration for cookie monster who used to just eat wheels. Uh and Raposo, Joe Raposo loved sweets and cookies so much that Jim Henson would joke about it. And he was so impressed that um, people say he changed it to the Monster Eat Wheels became a Monster Eat Cookies and became Cookie Monster. And when Joe Raposo died at the funeral, his wife served milk and cookies. Aww. How's that for some Sesame Street fun facts? Yeah, what, what, facts. Jim, what Jim Henson and, and uh, Fred Rogers figured out about the potential of television is pretty is pretty incredible because if you think about what television the purpose television mostly serves 
um, you know, and and has since the beginning of just being so this kind of mindless thing uh, that that they understood that there was going to be little kids stuck in front of this machine and that this machine had the chance to teach them things and and excite them and make them laugh and all this stuff like it's pretty you know, in hindsight, it seems kind of obvious, but it's not obvious. It's pretty, yeah, pretty it's remarkable. Like, it's actually, it's, it's pretty unassailable shit, to be honest. Mm-hmm. There actually is mm-hmm. some evidence that we are not uh, the worst invasive species that the planet has ever <laughs> experienced. We have done some things yeah, right. right. There have been moments when we we'll landed some good things because we right. came together and figured out how. Yeah. And and to make it national, like an yeah. American product that you yes. can and to, and to make feel it really good. good about. You know, yeah. yep. the, thing, the thing with Sesame yep. Street is like, I mean, there's a point at which you get a little older and you kind of get more into Electric Company, but you still watch <laughs> Sesame Street. Like or 321 Contact. Or 321 Contact for sure, yeah. <laughs> but even then, you're still watching all of them. You're still watching Sesame Street like way too old. You yeah, know you're what I mean? sticking around. And like, <laughs> yeah. you don't want your friends to know that you're still Absolutely. watching it, but yeah. you're deaf still watching <laughs> yeah, it. You're still watching it. And then, you know, yeah. you've advanced a little bit beyond like the small, you know, like, I, you know, you get to the point where it's like, oh, Super Grover's in this episode. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Super Grover still makes me laugh, but I mean they're always winking at adults too, and, and winking at older that, people, and they which still works. Do yeah. Such a good job of it. Yeah. Anyway, sweeping the clouds away, sunny days. Sure. <laughs> I love it. But you know what else, Joe Raposo? He wrote another famous, um, very famous sitcom song, uh, which was Three's Company. Oh, really? Oh, which I think Raposo. is a very, of course I know that. We, very we perfect covered that. song. That was number thirty-seven. Come on, How, you think I forgot? I was going like to do that joke, a, and I was like, I'll leave that for brain Joshua. wipe. Of course I know that. <laughs> Come and knock on my door. my door. That is such a uh, a successful one. And then one more weird thing I didn't know is one of Raposa's closest friends in his entire life was Frank Sinatra. Who insisted he was going to, in the early 70s, record a full album of only Joe Raposo originals, because he loved all his work and anything he's done, and the record company fought him and said, you can only pick four. And that's Old Blue Eyes is back from like 1973. So Joe Raposo was just firing all pistols. I wish that I could do a good Frank Sinatra um, so that I could fire up uh, C is for Cookie right now, Frank Sinatra style. <laughs> but I don't. Sunny days sweeping those clouds away. <laughs> Something like that. Good. On my way to kick your fucking ass. No. <laughs> C is for cookie. That's good enough for me. C is for cannoli. That's good enough for me. It's right there too. Hey. Oh. <laughs> Number seven. Number seven is a cover of a, of a song that uh, you need to hear the original of, even though you probably never have. Joshua, would you please hit that link? Thank you for being a friend Travel down a road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant <laughs> This video's great It really is So I've never heard this version Me neither, I never knew this existed It sounds really good Yeah, you know why it sounds really good? Because Andrew Gold is the motherfucking real goddamn deal let me really? tell you. <laughs> yeah. Who is Andrew Gold? I know. I'm, I'm very curious now. <laughs> and if you threw a party, invited everyone you knew, well, you 
this band yes. looks cool. Yes. He looks like he if, could be Tom Petty's dad. <laughs> if if listeners take absolutely nothing away from this ridiculous Halloween special, I would beg them to take away. We are all going to go listen to some Andrew Gold because well, here is yeah. what I have learned about Andrew Gold. His like big break was working with Linda Ronstadt on Hearts Like a Wheel. Mm. He was on You're No Good. He was on When Will I Be Loved. His career involved producing and writing songs for Cher, Vince Gill, Trisha Yearwood, mm. Celine Dion, Winona Judd, Jackson Brown, James Taylor. Like the I was mother- just going to say there was a Jackson Brown, James Taylor vibe in there like when they got into the 80s. He's, he's an, a real, he was a real musician. Um, he wrote this song in under an hour. And considered it, quote, this little throwaway thing. Hmm. And it was resurrected by the networks. Um, and Wait, do we have a year on the original song when he like made that video? Oh, cool. And then when was the network, Colin? Oh, you know, I didn't look that up. When did Golden Girls premiere? Um, I'm going to say 85 to 92. Okay. 85. Did you just look that up? No, no, I'm, I'm he, literally he guessing. Just, I'm literally guessing. Sep- September fourteenth, nineteen eighty-five to May 9th, nineteen ninety-two. Holy oh shit, Joshua! <laughs> you <laughs> win the showcase showdown. Wow! And- I promise you, I didn't look that up. That's incredible. Wow. Um, but anyway, the song was uh, the song was covered by a commercial jing- a professional commercial jingle singer named Cindy Fee. It who, sounds like that. Okay. Yeah. Who like she brought the commercialism to it. Uh, she made it um, the thing that it became. Everyone adores it. It is. This is a song that immediately puts you in the universe of the show. And oh, I think that's yeah. part of why it's had such cultural legs beyond the show are that we un- we we get that vibe of um that we love from the show when we hear the song but also the song was a legit song by a real musician who had fucking chops i'm looking forward to jamming it when i'm you know like on my own when i can actually turn it crank it (laughs) yeah and when you sound great it sounds like a great song it really is and when you listen to the original um and you get to hear all the other verses that are not part of the theme song Mm -hmm. you it it, the the song is made more complicated obviously and like more interesting Hmm. i have to say like i am really glad to have stumbled upon andrew gold and a little ashamed that i'd never heard of him he clearly had like a very serious career and it's no wonder that this song remains like a, a national treasure to very, very many people. It makes me think that like some of what we're doing here is like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to call it. Maybe something like it's kind of like service journalism or something. <laughs> Careful, <laughs> Matt's going to get excited. <laughs> um, why do you think it works so well as the beginning? Obviously, they're friends, right? And the song yep. is about friendship. But like, you yep. know, I don't know. Um, couldn't the song have worked for any group of friends in a in a in a show you know i mean aren't all shows kind of about a small group of friends like like the show friends why does it do you think it fits golden girls so much i think that's a great question and i have a i have an answer to it i think um i think that golden girls is a show that was always working to live inside the tension between uh humor and darkness in a way that very few sitcoms of its era were. 
And I think, you know, a whole other can of worms is how much of that darkness comes from just exclusively putting older women on the screen um, and what that means to people and like how much of the darkness is about mortality and uh, being alone and how you make your way in the world when you're more alone in some respects than you ever planned or expected wow, to okay. be. And at, at, like at the end of the day, Golden Girls is, I think, probably the most iconic television version of Chosen Family, right? It's hmm. It's the first moment on TV when we see people who um, didn't plan for it to be this way. Wow! And, yeah, and well found said. and found uh, a core self that was made stronger in re- in in relation to others, which is part of why the show has, I think, such an emotional hold on people. But mm. at the same time, the shit is fucking funny and still it's very fucking funny. funny. It's very yeah. funny show. The actors are absolutely performing at the top of their game, let alone the top of like a sitcom game. Yeah, and and. It's, you luck it's out like, with an older cast because they're so seasoned that so I was seasoned. I was uh-huh. watching like some of it last year and they're like timing and when they it's yeah. just Heckable. they're just like yeah and yeah they're just they're great. like Barishnikov level <laughs> like technically good at what and they the, do and the jokes are fucking the jokes are mean very good, yeah they are mean and oh, that's why no, they are so yeah. funny they say yeah. some shit that is just like. They're always slut shaming each other. Yeah. And I think they're always the song, making jokes about yes. how dumb they are. They're gonna die yeah. soon. Yes. They how Dorothy is like the most frigid woman on earth. They just go at each other's throats and it is so funny. And yeah. I think that the song is living in that same emotional space. Um I think the song is both like very tender and loving, mm-hmm. but it's but it's there's also like a shade of darkness in the version of friendship that it explores. Mm-hmm. Not because it's a troubled friendship in the in the world of the song, but because there's a sense of like looking back or in the past or we're not in our heyday anymore version of the song. Like mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's something retrospective about it that I think feels just a little a twinge of melancholy to it. Thank you. Travel down the road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant Number six Number six is a song that for an entire generation of people somewhere within my age if that song came on you heard it in the other room and it meant it was time for you to go to bed. Yeah, because yeah. your dad was about to have a nom yep. flashback. Because your dad is watching <laughs> MASH. <laughs> the worst moment of television also as a kid because it was the most boring show on earth when you were a kid. My dad was actually not a Vietnam vet, but he was so nevertheless traumatized by the whole like cultural moment that he could not watch that show without me being like, peace out, I'm done. I'm, this is, it's time to absent myself from the situation. Well, I mean, for whatever reason you left, whether it's because you had to go to bed or because you were bored or because you were scared of your dad's feelings, every <laughs> kid had to leave during MASH. Yeah, um, right. 
I agree with Matt. I thought it was boring. The Heather, I mean, the helicopter like, would come down and oh you'd hear that. Oh my God, that shit fucking And then you just go into a coma and be like, this is not a sitcom that I can relate to. Or no. Anything. And then somebody comes in and makes a quote unquote joke and you're like, I don't understand why. It's nothing. Not funny. Nothing like, I understand. And my mom's here? smile is so weirdly frozen right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but boy. Boy, did people of their generation love this show. More people watched the finale of MASH than any other thing in the history of television. Simultaneously, correct? Yeah. It was at one point, it was the longest Mm -hmm. all-time sitcom. I mean, it was, I think it was 12 years, I think. This is why we're living in a gerontocracy, my friends, is because these motherfuckers, (laughs) there were so goddamn many of them all doing the same stupid shit every fucking night, watching fucking Alan Alda. God, I love Alan Alda. <laughs> um, but we broke their TV and it's irrelevant now, so they can keep all their records that they what? that they had. No one's ever no one's ever gonna break that record again. True, but they can't <laughs> run their phones. So where does that leave us? <laughs> <laughs> so the song, I guess if you were um, you know, my parents' age, I guess they probably saw MASH, the movie in the theater, and then Robert understood Altman. where this where the theme song came from. But I certainly didn't. And so yeah. there's always that interesting moment when you're older and either you see MASH for the first time, the movie, or somebody tells you about it and they're like, Hey, do you know the name of that song is Suicide is Painless? <laughs> like, what? Yep. That boring song. I remember when I learned that in yeah, college. It's so weird. Suicide and then, is painless. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> through early morning fog I see. Visions of the things to be. The pains that are withheld from me. I realize and I can see. The suicide is painless. <laughs> It brings on many changes And I can take or leave it if I please It's so crazy how this show and this song and this whole world was like just totally constructed so that these people could process their collective trauma projecting it onto a different space and a different moment Korea Yeah, Korea which is which for most of them was like they didn't It was Well, I think They would have been kids yeah, exactly. It was yeah. the it was the like uncanny valley between their yeah, experience and right. their parents' yep. experience, mm-hmm. and so few of them really knew people who had been part of the U.S. military interventions in Korea that they yeah. didn't. Ha- it was like it, this DMZ between their reality and their father's realities is so fucked up. This show is so fucked up. I cannot handle Mash, you guys. I, I'm I'm I love Mash. I'm not a fan either. I absolutely love it. I love the problematic Robert Altman movie. I like the movie. The movie. The movie. The movie feels more like a precursor to Police Academy in a lot of ways. Yeah. But then when you get into Mash, uh, I think some of those. I and I still think it's boring. It's uh, it's also was you know one of those saying and doing things for a first time show and broke a lot of barriers and had a lot of conversations people weren't having on national TV. You know, doing that whole thing and then eventually Alan Alda took it over and made it his kind of pet project and used it as his voice box and he started directing. He was like, "This is my path to owning PBS." (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i think it's great i mean it's it's a lot to take because it's but I, I started watching tons of mash in college for some reason and oh. just fell in love with it 
Sorry, guys. I'm a secret uh, boomer apologist. The I song guess. in the movie is is sung to uh, a character who thinks that he is committing suicide, and the movie is a comedy, of course, and so it's it's played for laughs. He he's not really committing suicide; he just thinks he is, and they they play this song. So Altman, you know, knew that he wanted this song, and he got the composer Johnny M- Mandel that he wanted to work on it, and he said, "Here's the thing: the song has to be called Suicide Is Painless, and it has to be the stupidest song ever." Ever written that was, that was altman's quote oh, to mandel mandel that reported is great that. i love altman and, yeah and altman then said okay so you're gonna write the music and i will write the lyrics but altman then said at 45 years old i'm too smart to write the stupidest song ever written i can't do it he, he felt like he failed at it so I'm he gets his too smart to write the song too smart to write the song <laughs> and so he gets his 15 year old son to write the lyrics oh my god his 15-year-old son does write the lyrics and achieves, a mean trick. achieves Altman's goal of writing the stupidest song ever written. And Altman's son or the composer's son? Why isn't my 14-year-old doing my homework? Because you're not, you're not tri- tricking him. <laughs> Altman got paid $70,000 to direct MASH. His son made over a million dollars off the MASH theme. Wow. Because it played forever. That is great. It played forever. Flipping the script on dad. Yeah. That's great. I never knew that so story. So give your kid the <laughs> gift of... Um, Doing your work for you. Residuals. <laughs> exactly. And if you are the in Hollywood, you might have never thought of this, but try to get your kids in the business too. See what happens. <laughs> right, you might have some uh, good outcomes. That's a cool idea. <laughs> So there you go. Uh, MASH is an iconic song um, that meant a lot to a lot of people for a long time and meant something different to their children. And that instrumental is sad and boring, yes. but it works. I would say it is the second saddest and most, it is the second saddest television theme to the Incredible Hulk theme. Ooh, what's the Hulk? What, the can 70s. you remind me of the Incredible Hulk uh, one? Yeah, what's, wait, what's so the So at the end Hulk? of every Incredible Hulk episode, Suicide is painful. David Banner, um, not Bruce Banner, like the comic book, but Bruce in the 70s mm-hmm. was seen as a little bit too gay. So they called him David Banner. Wait, what? And <laughs> they, Excuse him, yeah, And so the, the TV <laughs> Why isn't the MC universe mining this shit for a more interesting Hulk movie? Seriously, Matt. Yes. We can't. We have to edit that out. We cannot just give that shit away yeah. for free. <laughs> we got to write the screenplay right now. Give what away? That like David Banner, uh, that there's a path oh. to <laughs> yeah. some uh, yeah. non-binary. They and, think it's like, about exploring masculinity. But yeah. it's not. So at the end of every Hulk episode, David Banner has has once again destroyed his whatever burgeoning relationship he had, whatever possible career he had, whatever library he got a job at, because he hulked out at some point and he screwed everything up. So he has to leave town. He always has to leave town. And this is the music that plays as he leaves town. <laughs> already ready to say yeah no dying by suicide is painless if i do it right this is the roughest shit i've ever heard every episode ended this way every this single makes week fucking elliot smith's exo sound like goddamn pop music <laughs> this should have been the friends theme song uh, what isn't it incredible fuck? you're right this i was getting is... i was vibing with that oh my god joshua turn it off there are like a lot of sharps around <laughs> All right. Yes, yeah, so MASH is up there. <laughs> that was MASH. 
we've made it halfway through our top 10. And now it is time. I think we should probably get to a very special thing that we've been holding close to the vest for a long time now. We've been fielding, all these people keep asking, you know, when are you gonna get to this? When are you gonna get to this? And at this point, if you're listening, you're probably thinking, oh my God. So they've got five left? Five left. It's gonna be The Sopranos, Wire. True Detective. True Detective and, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. No, it's not. <laughs> and why isn't it? Because that'd be boring. <laughs> wait, no, wait, wait. That's wait. not the answer. My question is, well, but really, why isn't it? Because <laughs> we are honoring HBO this week with a very, very special Lifetime Achievement Award for excellence in television theme songs. Let me ask you this. At the end of the HBO... What's the song that you... What's the song that you hear? Like, for me, it's... For me, it's definitely Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, that's interesting. For me, it's The Sopranos. Well, you know what? I would think it's The Sopranos because I've watched The Sopranos all the way through three times and I (laughs) love The Sopranos. But it's oddly, it is Curb Your Enthusiasm. As soon as that jing, I hear dun, 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 that's just immediately in my head. (laughs) I think that The Sopranos one is another one that just shows uh, how powerful it is when a theme song Mm -hmm. captures the mood of the of the show like you can he- it's a very weird choice it's a but yeah. it's perfect but it's a it's it's the it kind grows of thing on you because it's the sopranos yes. though but if we were making a yeah. show and i pitched you a song that would be like number like 45 on your list i feel like uh, it's a weird choice for it's sure a weird cho- well i i think both yes it is a weird choice and also i'm not sure matt that i only like it because it grew on me like i think it also really captures tony's vibes and ethos it does it does feel it does end up feeling like that but 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 it's some sort of magic of light and shadow that makes that happen like i mean it's hmm. it's it's television magic because it's and the drive yeah. the drive Comic from drive right from, yeah for uh-huh. sure from manhattan yeah, yeah, yeah. To, like interstitial yeah. space yeah and when he brought that in and said this is going to be the theme you know they must have been like what are you talking about this is weird but yeah. it, it works uh, but i mean i think that that's that's you know that's kind of the hbo thing in a way right like i mean They've got these very enigmatic um, theme songs, and that's why they have to get this lifetime achievement and kind of be uh, beside this list necessarily than on it. I don't want to put, you know, The Sopranos right next to, you know, Golden Girls. It feels like a different thing. There's a there's a true uh, element of creative insight and surprise in an awful lot of what HBO's theme songs have looked like over the past 10, 15 years. And sometimes they're so like the curb your enthusiasm one. I put that in the same category as the mm-hmm. sex in the city one, like songs you can put on into other stuff and just uh, immediately yeah. get the vibe of, yep. of the show. And they almost yeah. like transcend being like a song you'd listen to and just become these kind of like sound triggers. Right. I mean, so yeah, much so sure. that uh, mm-hmm. Curb has become very memeable and people put it on oh, yeah. everything, which is like a fun game people play. But Sex in the City does that, too. That weird, like, samba weird song that's going on. Yeah, yeah. When you see the opening to Mad Men, that feels like inspired by an HBO opening. 
Like oh, I feel like yeah. they set, well, they set that's a precedent. He's, a, he's, a, he's totally. an HBO guy. Yeah, yeah. he's that's a Sopranos guy. Also, what every bit of cable, non-premium cable, prestige television was trying to yeah. do. They were like, how yeah. do we bring yeah. HBO vibes to what we're up to? Yeah. I mean, even The Walking Dead is trying to do that. Yeah, most shows are like that now. Most shows sound like that. Thanks, HBO. <laughs> Congratulations, HBO. And Yeah, uh, HBO, you've finally gotten some accolades from the system. Good yes. job. <laughs> it's been a long dry spell for HBO. Who's the lady from All My Children that got nominated 25 years in a row or whatever? Susan yeah, Lucci. Yeah, it's, it's been very Susan Lucci run for you, HBO. <laughs> oh, yeah, Susan Lucci. Number five. All right, guys, let me just tell you something about number five. Three. One, two, three. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the Heather wants to do all my intros. <laughs> all right, Matt, you sing it. Go for it. Do it, Heather. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought you were going to come in with me. You I thought back. you were going to be like, eight. Ah, ah, ah. West Philadelphia, <laughs> born and raised. Um. I'm, I'm on beer number four. Sorry. Oh, you, you should have should have. Uh, never mind. What? Yeah, we're on number five. She's on beer number four. It's confusing. <laughs> Come on. I'll finish this one fast while we're still on five, Joshua. Uh, good. Thank you. All right. So number five, there comes a time. No, I'm joking. Um, how should I open number five? Okay, I got it. Guys, number five, celebrity changes people. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, before you become big and famous, you might just be like a young, fresh-faced, a little, a little illusion there, um, creative um, just interesting guy who people want to see in movies and TV. And then through time, you just might become an insane person. But before that insanity, <laughs> you might give a gift to the world of TV theme songs. And that gift is the theme to Fresh Prince, which its title is actually Yo Home to Bel Air. Hit it, Hit it. In West Philadelphia, <laughs> born and raised on the playground, on the playground is where I spent most of my days. days. Chilling, Chilling out, relaxing, relaxing, and shooting some cooling. b-ball outside of the school when a when couple a of couple guys, guys that were up to no good, good started, started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one, one little fight, fight and my mom got scared. Such a moment out of Bel Air with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. And then does it go, when I whistled to the cab, the cam came near. The license plate said fresh said, and had fresh dice, in the mirror. dice in the mirror. If anything, thing, I can say that this cab was rare. I said, your home, me, forget it. Your home, oh. the Bel Air. <laughs> this might be all right. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license plate said fresh and it had dice it's in the one of It's one of the um, achievements in um sitcom storytelling like not mm. since the brady bunch have we seen such just oh, yeah. perfect straight for the jugular let's just tell you the elevator pitch in the song and yeah, it the was whole exposition takes place before you even see scene one yeah and it oh. was written by a guy named will smith who also starred in the show as fresh prince and what's really funny is quincy jones was composing and producing the music for the series but DJ Jazzy Jeff, who produced the song, he said, hey, we should just tell Quincy Jones that we should write a rap song to it. So they were like, okay, cool. And so Will Smith reads the scripts and the pilot, goes through them all, writes this rap, sings it to Quincy Jones, and Quincy Jones is like, I love it. And he immediately was like, that's it. You got it. 
I'm on board. That's the theme. Worked on it with him, and then the and rest in that time and place, history. if Quincy Jones was on board with what you were doing, that that's it. Like you're done. Yeah. Everything else from there on is gonna work just fine. You know, it, it became this song that just everyone knew, and every kid would memorize the lyrics and sing it in the schoolyard, or you'd sing it to yourself and rewrite the lyrics. And Will Smith was just this wonderful, charming guy doing a sitcom that felt <laughs> actually really pretty special it was always a little smarter than you thought it would be yeah the, cons- the concept for it is, is great and you know they're mm-hmm. obviously trying to mine they're like oh hip-hop inner city culture let's turn it into my fair lady but it works and it was funny and it was a show that like i thought was cool and funny at 11 years old and my parents totally. liked as well it was also a really ingenious way to mix a certain kind of like cosby show uh upper class educated wealthy black people on tv but at the same time we're gonna hold on to this like youthful um urban kid and we're gonna use the fish out of water strategy to depict both of these worlds at the same time it's like actually like kind of a nefariously brilliant way for a network to capture a target audience yeah and you feel like just a few years earlier they might have made it a white family oh totally you know there's benson or remember there were shows that tried to do stuff like that um and that's why it was the gift that just kept on giving i mean basically the like complete inversion of fresh prince happens with a simple life with uh paris hilton and nicole ritchie it's like let's take Mm. uh the rich Mm. girls put them in a place where they're not rich oh, yeah, I forgot let's about that, that fish out of water and we'll get both uh target audiences at the same time the ones who are aspirational the ones who aren't and uh we'll, we'll this time around we'll do it re- reality style like it's actually a really brilliant formula i guess is what i'm saying and the ways that that uh fresh prince brought that formula to life are they kind of age pretty well i've watched some fresh prince episodes in the last year or so and enjoyed them quite a bit oh really do they still hold up? The original Aunt Viv ones are better than the new Aunt Viv. Yep, that's I'll right. Say that. They pulled a Becky with Aunt Viv. They definitely pulled <laughs> a, Becky a Becky from Roseanne, which some of you may remember from number forty-two on our list. <laughs> that harmonica, <laughs> but it was only down there because the open is great. The song is less great than the open. The open is great though, as we talked about. So, but I was just reminding people. <laughs> I have a question for you guys that's unanswerable. My favorite kind of question. Obviously, everyone knew that song in the U.S., but it actually charted number two and number three in two other Wait, countries. Wait, the theme song to Fresh Abs- Prince yep, charted? Yep, it was huge. They released it. The show came out in 1990. Leave it to Matt to find the global charting behaviors. Well, you know I'm a man. Please. You know I'm a, a, worldwide, a studied man of the world. Worldwide uh, billboard. And um, two countries loved it so much, it ended up on number two and number three. What? In these countries, respectively. You want us to name those countries? We get to name those countries. Yeah, and I mean, since there's only like, a hint? Uh, there's like, I don't know, 200 countries, you guys are fucked. Yeah. Estonia and Peru. Whoa, whoa, nope, whoa. whoa. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Okay, it is. Um, All right, how about, I'll just give you the, le- the letters. One starts with an S. Spain. Boom. You got it. Spain, no, it was the other no. one. The other one is Denmark. Close, very close. The Danes, the Danes are racist okay. as fuck. Oh, this is interesting. The Netherlands and Spain. Oh, the Netherlands are equally racist. Yeah, sure, Denmark and the Netherlands are the same. Whatever, that's the same. Uh, <laughs> Racism. That's, that is really interesting. <laughs> I never, I never would have a million years guessed that, Matt. 
fascinating. And it's interesting too because I think God, they were so obsessive obsessed with but us. maybe they were like really curious and fiending for this new genre of music and this was like the sanitized easy accessible version of it i was really yeah, thinking a lot about ver- this this is the version they're not going to listen to nwa <laughs> yeah, you know what no, i mean this right. is the version of american black but they want a taste feels of like it. safe and palatable yeah, exactly this is which is why like white audiences are watching the show too oh yeah God. Can, so can someone do an impression of a dutch person singing the song for me please is Heather drunk enough right now to do that? I'm not sure. What oh, do man. Dutch people sound like? I don't know. That's why, they I, sound like that's why I was asking. That's why I was asking you. They sound like Germans. No, it's no. They don't. It's sound? German. All right, they German with a lot of Swedish chef thrown German, in. German, but but yes. <laughs> do it, Joshua. Would they say vest? Would they say vest Philadelphia? In vest Philadelphia, would they say it like that? Vod and Riz. We'll just All make the up. playgrounds is where I spent most of my fun days. <laughs> You're going back to the Sesame Street count, I think. <laughs> oh, oh, you my guys God. have to pee so bad. That was really funny. <laughs> you were like going to like the sound of music. <laughs> Yeah, there was a you were like, sound of music in that. Anyway, is that is that enough on uh, on Fresh Prince? Go home to Valer. <laughs> <laughs> Hit it. Uh, number four, please. Number four, please. <gasps> oh, Matt. That was me trying to be Jethro. I know uh-huh. what it was. Is that uh-huh. what it was? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, Sunny wow. days sweeping the clouds away. I'll stay in my lane. <laughs> Listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food. And up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know... Number four. Everybody has been wondering when this was going to come because, of course, it was going to come. We're talking about the Beverly Hillbillies, a song that was an actual hit song, The Ballad of Jed Clampett. Oh, Wait, it, it, it charted? Spent 20 weeks, 20 weeks on the Billboard Country oh Singles chart. God. Joshua, are we ever going to convince Matt that country... Wait, wait, what year was this? This was 62. All right, so yeah, my, so Matt, my like 1962 you... country yeah. music chart knowledge, Heather, is not up to snuff. Uh, the song was written... I was listening by, to MASH. Music, music and lyrics were written by the show's creator, Paul Henning, who not only created Beverly Hillbillies, he also created uh, uh, a Petticoat Junction and Green Acres. He wrote over 200 of the episodes of Beverly Hillbillies and he Damn. wrote the music and the lyrics and he got Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs to play it as bluegrass legends. Let's just take a moment to say that again. That Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs played yeah. the the ballad yeah. of Jed Clampett. Yeah. yeah. I mean they were a big deal at the time. For any and, you listeners know. whose uh you know genre tastes have have not touched this this is the equivalent of being like we had jay and beyonce write the theme song (laughs) perform the theme song to our fucking television show yeah it was a big hit um on country radio and it um you know charted on the billboard hot 100 as well so it crossed over as well and the television show was of course a massive hit was on for um, about 10 years and 
the it is iconic in that it is one of these that tells the story right we've we've had yeah. previously on this list in previous weeks we've had the brady bunch we've had the gilligan's island very we've fresh prince all of in these, its way you know? it tells the story this, yeah. is the, this is the iconic you know story and which also happens with green acres Green yes. Acres, Acres is the place, is the place to, be. to be. Farm and living is the life for me. That and that one is a little Watermelon bit more of a, like like the state of Visha. Or, um, whereas this one tells you the story of how they're going to get there, right? And it's impossible not to want to sing it, not to want to sing along with it. You know, it's a fun song to sing. It's got the call and response parts. You know, black gold, Texas tea. <laughs> That's the main reason it's so high. It's a great little tune and a really fun song to sing along to. Didn't they try to remake this at some point? Well, they made a movie version That's of the Beverly right. Hillbillies yeah, in the What did uh, they 90s. do with the song? Did they redo they, the, the song? It's the same song. Same but, song. Uh, but, but did like um, Sugar Ray cover it? No, it's the same <laughs> song, but they got um Why am I blanking? Bella Fleck played played uh on it as well. Oh. As the original, I've seen Rolls I've Rugs. seen the Flag Toads live in high school. Um, he plays this song. Have. He plays this song yep. on tour for, somewhat frequently. He'll play the Beverly Hillbillies theme on tour still to this day. He's, he's the, the same way of, that Jake master and of the banjo. play Rawhide. <laughs> oh, he's got. I'm not going to defend Bay Effect. Never mind. <laughs> but he's really fast at playing the banjo. That's all I remember about him. <laughs> I have two things here for you. A one um, that I'll just do very quickly because I didn't know this, or maybe I did at one point and I have forgotten. Um, but Weird Al has a parody of this. Wait, is this Dire Straits mashed yeah, up with Beverly Hillbillies? Yeah, what does Dire Straits have to do with anything? Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. Weird Al is pulling a fast one on us. <laughs> Looky here, people. Listen to my story. Oh, wow. The little story about a man <laughs> named Jed. Good old song, that poor mountaineer. They say he been nice. kept his family fed. Now let me tell you, one day he was shooting. Old Jed was shooting at some food. <laughs> when all of a sudden, right up from the all right. So you know that I have you never have, seen have that in my life, and it is that apparently is... in the movie UHF, which is the Weird Al movie. That that movie's amazing. Well, that this is, is apparently an from the movie. Astonishing level of cultural things colliding. <laughs> um, the last thing I have for you about the Beverly Hillbillies, because I think that um, I wanted to use this as like sort of a bookend to all in the family is Beverly Hillbillies was canceled during um, an incident that you can rabbit hole at some point called the Rural Purge. R-U-R-A-L, The Rural Purge. And this is when CBS, who had the uh, hit shows, Beverly Hillbillies and Green Acres and all these like, you know, sort of more Southern uh, country-esque rural Mm -hmm. shows that were still big hits, but CBS didn't, they did fallen out of favor. They didn't like it. And so in one, like two years, they basically canceled all of the shows, even though they were very successful shows and they canceled Hee Haw as well as part of the rural purge. And that's why Hee Haw then goes and becomes the, the first big massive syndicated hit because, uh, but I thought Hee Haw was so much later than like green acres. It's not. Hee Haw got canceled, I think in like 69 or something (laughs) like that. And so, um, Uh. and then it goes on to be syndicated and be, you know, the, the big hit, that it was for a long time. And, uh, but so Beverly Hillbillies was killed because CBS wanted to bring on shows like 
all in the family. So they made a big shift from uh, these rural shows that were seen as sort of like outdated and also audience uh, advertisers weren't crazy about those audiences and they really wanted to start hitting the more urban audience markets. So that's when Norman Lear basically comes in after the rural purge and all of his shows then essentially take over. And the war of northern aggression. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's definitely a moment where like... Mm. Goldwater's Southern strategy and uh, the the like '60s version of what white white Southerners are all about are all kind of colliding in pop culture, and we're figuring out what what the next step is. Yeah, um, past Green Acres and the Beverly Hills. And politics wasn't doing them any That's favors, right. and neither were yeah. their uh, neither were their candidates they were they were voting for. So people were like. This isn't fucking cool. It's the 60s. <laughs> That's right. I think that the Be- Beverly Hillbillies makes it to like 1971. 71, yeah. Or something. Yeah. So, and it's, still, um, and it's still a hit at the time. It's still a very watched right. show. This is the moment that like our generation still hasn't experienced where, where like our tendencies took over pop culture. Like what the, the rural purge definitely had something to do with boomers beginning to be, um, an interesting cultural force. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people, people want, I think one of the big shows that comes in right after that is Smothers Brothers. People yeah. want like laugh in and these things, right? They yeah. want like a new, like hip yeah. quote unquote. And they want to, they yeah. want to reflect yeah. their yeah. culture. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting though. I, sometimes, you know, we blame them for it. And that's part of it. But I think they also just stepped in shit with where technology was. Sure, but it's more fun to blame them. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think they, they'll they probably take all the credit for it, but they stumbled on like rock and roll was invented. Television became, you know, the massive monoculture. Uh, movies were, you know what I mean? So in that little moment, that's just going to be a fading moment on the map of like 50 years of this kind of technology and media when people are like, oh, TV, you know, that kind of shit. Um, pre-internet, they were just in it. And didn't and, and never let go. And I wonder if it was the same if they would have been kicked out by now. Oh, I think there's. You know what I mean? To my mind, there's no question that the biggest logical fallacy that the boomers <laughs> have about themselves is is that they fail to see that they were a historical anomaly, mm-hmm. and that they yeah. and that they happened yeah. to be in Absolutely. a particular place at a particular time. Not that they made that world what it was like they they no, ascribe they, they causality the post world war 2 world they, after they took totally. advantage of it. they ascribe causality they describe po- they ascribe positive yeah. causality to themselves that we actually have zero yeah. evidence had anything to do with them it's a mere coincidence <laughs> But it's interesting. I'm watching my parents finally recognize that. Oh, and it's good like, for you. Props. I would love to. Well, see you know, we, we have a lot of con- we have a lot of conversations of it. But you know, they finally understood it. I was like, oh, you hit the hot streak. You hit the American hot streak. Yeah. America was on a hot streak. Yep. You could have you could have done the depression. You could have been in the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. But you got post World War II. You didn't have to fight in that war. And I can see them being like and and thinking about it. You know, because. And you get like, you know, cheap education and healthcare and all that. I'll try that. Anyway, bring up baby boomers if we're trying to get the show going. (laughs) Not the way to speed it up. Uh, Number three. three. Let me take you guys to the Upper East Side of Manhattan to a deluxe apartment in the sky. sky. Have you ever been there? Because fish don't fry in the kitchen and beans don't (laughs) burn on the grill. I'm talking about the Jefferson's theme song, 
I didn't write down the name of the song. It's moving on up, right? I would assume it is, but who knows? Might be called the ball- the Ballad of George Jefferson. When I saw Yo Home to Bel Air. Um, no, it's moving on up. Everyone knows that song. It's still culturally yes. present. But you can still reference it. It was as um, recently as 2016. It was the theme of like a Super Bowl ad with uh, Lil Wayne and Jeff Goldblum and tons of references. But what's really funny is we're really in this Norman Lear universe yeah. because... And it gets it gets even deeper because if people don't know, uh, George Jefferson was a character that got a spinoff um, from All in the Family, and him and um, Archie Bunker used to used to go at it. Yeah, and Wheezy was in it. Um, and then they're like, "You guys are great." Maud, B. Arthur, you know Dorothy from the Golgos. She actually got the first spinoff, and she was just the dyed in the wool Democrat liberal who would give Archie Bunker shit. Thinking about Archie Bunker, you know, we were talking about if people get it or not. The more I think about it going through these songs, it really doesn't matter because it almost just showed people how to interact with each other. Maybe that was enough. Like how to be George Jefferson, how to be B. Arthur, how to be Meathead and the young kids and how to be Archie Bunker and how to like be mean to each other in a nicer way. <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe just watching, maybe that was just cathartic because that was a pretty a lot of social upheaval going to it. And maybe just watching these people roll their eyes at each other, get mad, joke around, find points that, you know, they could relate about or laugh about. Maybe that was just enough of, of why it worked. Anyway, I digress. Here's some more deep Nor- Norman Lear shit. The woman who sung it, sung the song was Janet Dubois. D-U-B-O-I-S. I want to say Dubois, I mean, Dubois, it's Dubois. It's either that or Dubois. We don't know. Anyway, she was a regular on Good Times, which actually was a spinoff of Maud, which was a spinoff of All in the Family in, in, in the world. God, it's like the MCU of Norman Lear. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Somehow she was never, um, with all those connections, never was on like everything but the Jeffersons. But she told Norman Lear once that she wanted to branch out from acting. And Norman Lear, being the cool dude that he is, he was like, oh, I'm doing this new show called The Jeffersons. Why don't you write the theme song for it? Hmm. If you want to get into singing and making music, too. Um, And he teamed her up with Jeff Barry, a very famous songwriter. And she just wrote it from her own inspiration of becoming a famous TV star. And she's like, I bought my mom a house and I bought her a mink coat and I told her to retire and I made it. And she just took that whole vibe. I her on up. And she moved her on up and she took that to Jeff Barry and Jeff Barry, he was a really seasoned songwriter. So apparently together, you know, she brought in the, the lyrics and the vibe of the song and he really shaped it because Jeff Barry, him and his wife used to write songs for Phil Spector and they wrote everything from the do run run. Then he kissed me, be my baby, baby. I love you. All these runettes. Holy shit. And he wrote what is arguably and we'll get to this in another episode, but the greatest Christmas song of all time, or at least my favorite, Darlene Loves, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. Mm-hmm. No. Also co-wrote River Deep, Mountain High. Oh my God. Then when he was younger, he and starting out, he was on the teams that wrote Leader of the Pack and Sugar Sugar. So Norman oh, Lear, wow. magic maker that he is, he's like, I'll take this seasoned veteran, I'll take this young, up-and-coming, inspired woman, put them together, and a 35-piece gospel choir, and boom, you have number three on our list, one of the best and most memorable fun songs to sing. Well, 
is a fun song to sing. So uh, you just want to walk around. You want to do the George Jefferson walk. Oh, you got yes. to do the George Jefferson <laughs> walk. Oh, my God, yes. And... I wish everybody listening could see the two of you clowns doing the George Jefferson walk in your chairs. And you just want to yell like, Wheezy. Um, also, another fun fact is on Nelly's debut rap album in 2000. Okay. He sampled he sampled um, parts of Moving On Up for the song Batter Up. I can't wait to listen to that again. The great show, um, really fun show, really uh, one of those shows that did not feel old-fashioned to me, even though it was older than me. Like when I was a kid, it's, it felt Oh fresh. yeah, it aged it really fun. well. The show was famous for having the first interracial couple on television. Oh yeah, sure. sure. And, George, mom. and George Jefferson would mercilessly make fun of them. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was always just like a fun, smart time. Amazing show. It embedded itself in the American psyche. And so now we are moving on up to number two. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Number two. Number two is a slight departure from our traditional criteria for things in that it is instrumental. But it is so utterly transportive and so profoundly moving that it has to be here and it earns a number two spot. And it is the Twin Peaks theme by Angelo Badalamenti. Here is a little quiz for you. Angelo is six degrees of separation from our podcast. Really? Yeah, really. He has touched so many movies and soundtracks that we have cared about in the past. I am going to name some, and you are going to tell me which one he actually has no connection to. Ooh, I love it. A quiz. Number one, Dirty Dancing. Number two, Train Spotting. Number three, a slight sneak peek of next episode. Or number four, Pretty in Pink. Which one did Angelo, in fact, not have a connection? I think you're going to try to trick us. I'm going to say... I'm going with Pretty in Pink. This is tough because they're all ones we've done. I'm just going to go random first thought and do... Joshua's right. It's pretty in pink. That's a smarter answer. Here are all the ways that Angelo connects to these movies that seemingly have not a goddamn thing to do with one another. So, like many a character in Dirty Dancing, he was a musician and performer in Catskill Summer Resorts as a teenager. He was Patrick fucking Swayze, except instead of being the dance instructor, he was a he was like a, a you know a band musician. Awesome. He also Joshua, you're gonna love this one, and listeners, you're gonna be excited to listen uh, and talk about with us soon. But spoiler alert: Joshua falls in fantastic love with uh, Marianne Faithful. Joshua Angelo composed uh, and produced Marianne Faithful's 1995 album, A Secret Life. Wow, all right. He also worked with Orbital on mm-hmm. Danny Boyle's The Beach. 
Okay. As we wow. know, <laughs> the beach is Danny Boyle's follow-up to train spotting. And here's the one These are quite that... degrees of separation. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, I can probably find one for uh, mine somehow. Oh, no, Pretty, pretty in pink. pink. We can find one. I mean, he did some work with the Pet Shop Boys. I'm sure you could eventually <laughs> yeah. connect Pet Shop yeah, Boys to Pretty in Pink. <laughs> but also, he was the composer for National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, Ooh, that hits that really goes. hard Brings for you. it home to Heather. It really does. Like, this is a man who was, like, both an tour. He was, like, <laughs> he was there for Blue Velvet. He was there with Isabella Rossellini trying to decide whether she was going to perform her own songs in Blue Velvet. He's been standing alongside David Lynch for decades. He is an astonishing composer, and he understands the screen so well. And he is also willing to make sure that the fucking Griswold family Christmas sounds awesome. <laughs> hey, if the, if um, the check the, cashes. I think he's the, better than that. I think he's just like, I think he does whatever he fucking feels like. If it sounds good, he's gonna do it. And his definition of sounding good is broader than you might expect. It's a nice life. I mean, it's probably just fun. Another reason yeah. that this is um, number two on our list is, well, one way of saying it would be that I don't think that HBO is receiving their Lifetime Achievement Award if this song and this beginning didn't happen first. It is I like the it, I like it, it is the the modern television beginning is created here with this show, right? Totally. Yes. It yeah. is used and in fact so boldly too throughout the show and in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Shamelessly. This yeah. is how all yes, this is how all shows sound now. Over. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. We'd never have fucking True Detective yeah. and Leonard Cohen without this. Um, in fact, it wins the Grammy that year for uh, Best Pop Instrumental. It, it's so transportive. It's so ethereal. It's so beautiful. And I think Joshua was absolutely right. It was a, a breakthrough in the creative problem of how do we bring people into this world for the 22 minutes that we have them. Yeah. And it's so mesmerizing. I rewatched Twin Peaks before the new Showtime um, one came out. And it was definitely a no skip for me. I would just let it go, become mesmerized by the You'd scary feel guilty if you skipped song it. And the tr- You'd yeah, feel like you, yeah. were, you, were, you were like skipping over a scene in the movie. And you feel like the experience of the show is so curated and so thought out that you would just be like, this 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 isn't just like skipping over you know even the sopranos why or whatever and i would just let it go again get back into it kind of just like reassess myself or everything yeah. after the last yes. like, episode you saw slip uh-huh. back into it watch those logs getting chopped up or whatever <laughs> and man i love it it's a great number two everybody should be listening to some julie cruz and some angelo whenever they have a chance definitely which which brings, brings us, us everyone, everyone. To our number to our one. Number one. Dun, dun, dun. Which, let's be honest. This How isn't going to be a, this. This isn't going to five hundred songs. We've we've made it through five hundred songs. We've oh, been doing this since two thousand four. Joshua, you've been has, following along. You've been taking notes. You've been writing blogs about it. Joshua had, did a PhD dissertation on the f- top five hundred. We got is, we got some sponsorship, and there were commercials for all kinds of terrible yeah. online mental health services. Right, and we 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 messed all those sponsorships up and lost them all because we couldn't read the copyright. We kept making, we kept calling people crazy. And also, when they you would know? tell, then they would give us suggestions. We would say, "You don't understand. This is the list." 
<laughs> we're not selling this list out for you or for anyone. This is what we believe, guys. You can't buy. You can't buy yeah. us. You can keep your Clearasel. <laughs> <laughs> so for all of you who've been following along, this is not going to be a surprise. There's one that you have known was coming. You've known it's going to be somewhere near the top. It's Frazier. Oh, wait, sorry. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? It is, of course, the place that you go. Sometimes you want to go to this place. What does everyone what does everyone know at this place? They know your name. That's right. That's right. Everyone knows your name at this place where sometimes you want to go. From all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows The theme to Cheers is our number one that we have been building to for a decade and a half now. <laughs> worth worth every pick. It makes me cry. It's a beautiful song. And uh, part of that is uh, the typography mm. and the, like... <laughs> faux uh, engravings yeah. that you yeah, yeah, see yeah. in the yeah, opening. Sure. Yes, I was not expecting yeah. you to say the typography. Um, I like it. And also, part of it is that when I was growing up, my dad's bar was named Cheers. Whoa. Very, Crazy. Very foreshorely after the TV show, but without being willing to admit that about itself. <laughs> and and the reason why I know that it was named that after the so TV funny. show is because the... Uh, logo of the bar was the same logo as the tv oh show oh my god so i want you to picture a like hole in the wall bar in west virginia where a couple of local boys have made good enough that they've cobbled together some loans to open a bar and it is where my dad goes every single day after work and at some point in the evening my mom will tell me as the eldest daughter, uh, and if all of you are on Twitter enough to know what the life of an eldest daughter is like, my mom will say to me, it's time for you to call Ray and tell your father to come home. And so I would go to the telephone in the kitchen and I would call cheers and Ray would answer. Ray was, and, this is, and Sam Malone gets the phone back from behind the bar and hands mm-hmm. it over to Norm and mm-hmm. says Vera's on the phone. A hundred percent because oh my God, I love it. like like Sam Malone, Ray was fucking hot AF and really? everyone yes, and oh. everyone he, he I mean he still is. He's survived like <laughs> bouts of cancer and he's my dad's age and I'm like, Yeah, buddy, I would totally tap that. He uh A true Sam Malone. Yes. And and I would call Ray and I would say, Ray, it's Heather, and he would say, No problem, I'll send him home unless you want to talk to him and I'd say, I don't need to talk to him and he'd say okay i got it and he would hang up and he would send my dad home and when my sister was born uh my dad showed up a little late to the hospital because Uh. he was at cheers with ray um and one thing he showed up with was uh a a little like bar tab from cheers where ray had in an attempt to help my dad look better in the situation (laughs) created a signature drink uh, named after my sister. My sister's name is Hillary, and he misspelled my sister's name oh my because God. my dad still wasn't quite sure how to spell my sister's name yet. So, just to give you a sense of how iconic this show and this song was, there were entire like lives be 
being led in the United States of America that were profoundly influenced by it without anyone who had anything to do with it knowing that that was going on. (laughs) The song is certainly one of the things that makes the show great, but the song is just a really uh, pretty song. And I don't know that you'd say that about a Mm -hmm. lot of television theme songs, that it's Mm -hmm. like a really, really nice song. It's a song that you want to sing like... Uh, like it's a normal song. Like it's like not a TV theme song. It's like a real song that you like want to enjoy. It's like Auld Lang Syne comes to mind, right? Yeah, totally. Or maybe yeah. Dolly so, Parton, who he also wrote songs for. It was another accomplished songwriter. Dolly Parton, Air Supply. I did not know that. <laughs> so Gary Portney wrote the song, Portnoy. <laughs> Gary Portnoy wrote the song. And he was uh, a guy that the Charles brothers sort of found because he had written some stuff for some uh, like local theater productions and that they had knew a little bit about. And he tried a couple different versions. It, it, it's fun to take a dive if you want to take a dive at some point into some of the other versions and see what could have been because they're not oh, as yeah. good as where he lands. Roll out of bed, Mr. Coffee's dead. The morning's looking bright. The morning's looking bright. And your shrink ran off to Europe and didn't even write. And your husband wants to be a girl. Whoa. Be glad there's, be one, glad place there's the one place in the world where everybody... You're weird shit, man. Like, they did a good job of editing there. Uh, but it also <laughs> reminds me of, like, how nice it is that it's, like, begins with this, like, lamenting sort of thing. That it's, like, you know, kind of sad. Um... And it stays sad, but it also like rises the crescendo of the of the chorus. Um, it's nice that it goes from like that sort of sad lament to like the mm-hmm. the which, joyful thing of like community. Totally, the joy of which communal feels like alcoholism. It, yeah. Yes, I was about to say, which feels like it totally captures a bar at its best. I mean, right. I, I know that this will sound absolutely insane, um, but like a a bar is an act of magic when it's oh done my God. well. Here we go. Here we go. It is. I mean, I'm not, not going to argue find. because I spent two years of college at a bar, basically. Yeah. And Broadway Bobby and was the old guy. And like, I just knew so many characters there. We hit a guy in the basement from the cops one time. We were just would show up and get our drinks and everyone knew our name. And that was really a wonderful world to be in for a while. It love, really, really it. is. And I would get when, phone calls at the bar from my ex-girlfriend, and people thought that was funny before cell phones. So I lived I lived the bar life for a while, and it is a wonderful thing. It really is. It's like a very, very special kind of thing when it works, when you have one, and when there really is like a group of regulars who mm-hmm. animate it. It's, it's pretty special. Yeah. Do you know, speaking of weird shit in that song that you were just talking about the lyrics, that makes sense, because you know what else this... Gary Portnoy wrote for us TV theme. I'm going to try to sing it for you and see if you remember it. Okay. Streets on the China, never seen it before. Who cares? Drop, kick your jacket. Out of the door. Anyone know that song? <laughs> I do, but what are you? I, I'm, I'm blanking. <laughs> the weird, crazy song from Mr. Belvedere. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Streets on sure. the China, never seen it before. Yes. Okay. And you drop, kick your jacket. And it falls on the floor. No, I'm trying. I have no idea what the hell they've ever sang. But I can see Mr. Belvedere's mustache. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and you said he wrote songs for uh, other people. Dolly Parton, well? Air Supply. He also wrote the Punky Brewster song. I mean, oh wow. I guess when it's your job, 
you can't just have one TV show. So it's fun to look into these people and see yeah. all the other ones that were hits. I'm sure there's so many sitcoms that never make it, that there's probably a oh, great yeah. trove of like forgotten si- sitcom songs that never saw the light of day by people like this or these talented pop songs. We should all go out and find some Andrew Gold and some Gary Portnoy to listen to and <laughs> get wasted. And like, yes, I was about to say, and like find some people to get really sadly and then uh, and triumphantly drunk with. Takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name. So we don't actually have a next next step to record. No, we all we have to do is say is. thank you. Somebody has yeah. to say thank you for listening or whatever, or like oh, right. happy I'll Halloween or whatever. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for being a friend. <laughs> you can cut that out. No, I like it. No, but you have to, to actually wrap up the Halloween episode so we can and so just then did. I can splice in the thing where where we return to the talk about our next episode or whatever. See you next time, guys and ghouls. <laughs> I don't know what we should do to wrap it um, up. Uh, yeah, I don't know either, other than to say uh, it was really fun to talk about TV instead of movies, in part because TV is kind of dumber in some yeah. ways. And so it's more fun to just immerse yourself in a bunch of what this ridiculous medium has produced over the course of the <laughs> last 40, 40 years. And, and, and to re- be reminded that like, yeah, there's a reason why this medium endures. It's, it's really accessible and has found an awful lot of range. And the theme songs are no small part of that. They're yeah. dropping you in and uh, giving you access to a world that you might not stay in for very long and but how will it endure i mean not to drag this on any longer tv itself you mean yeah it's interesting and this it's going to become this interesting cultural relic just the way um radio shows or the soap commercials and soap operas operated and we're probably the last generation who are really in touch with it i think you're right about that i mean the the TV shows that I watch the most often now that are contemporary, that are coming out one episode a week or whatever, very few of them even have a theme song that is longer than five seconds of musical interlude for a moment. Yeah. Um, and the ones that do are uh, are dramatic prestige television that is giving you some cinematic bombast before you yeah. do anything else. You'll discuss a yeah. score maybe, but yeah. but it's never going to be. Um, Tony lives in a house and he kills people for a living. Suburbia, you know, it's never going to be like a surprise <laughs> sitcom song. Those are gone. Oh, yeah, Happy Halloween, everybody. It was fun to pretend that this was a show about TV, at least for one week. I think we did a really good job of tricking everyone, too. I'm sure they were (laughs) transported into this whole other podcast that they're going to look for the next episode and be like, whoa, what happened? It was all a Halloween dream. (laughs) (laughs) The trick and the treat. (laughs) Heather is making the next pick, I believe. I am. And, uh... I don't, I don't know if you guys have done the calendar math, but did you know that the next episode 
comes out on election day? It fucking uh, does, y'all. It comes out on midterm election day. Oh. I was discussing uh, our show with a, fr- a friend of mine who is a is a fan and listens carefully. And he mentioned to me that he really loves the ending song uh, in the final scene of Thelma and Louise. And I was, oh. I was thinking huh. about that, and I was thinking about how I don't remember it at all. much I hope that Election Day is a, a blockbuster of the angry woman imaginary coming okay. forward yeah. and being uh, as good at whatever it is angry women are able to do as we possibly can be. And so okay. that is my next pick. I want to revisit awesome. Uh, awesome. Thelma and Louise, which yeah. I think we are going to find has also maybe like the the closest thing to a, a country soundtrack that we've been able to touch. And uh, <laughs> that's and, exciting. And uh, I I think it's I think it's a seminal piece of women being so angry they can't even think straight until they finally do. So in in with with all optimism that that is what happens on the day of that show's release. Thelma and Louise, you guys. I love it. I I'm love excited. It. That sounds great. And if it doesn't work out, we'll I, drive I, off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're already we'll, halfway we'll find there. Out yeah. what the metaphor is. <laughs> I'm so excited because um, I have no idea. I can't even think of one song in that. I can think of iconic I scenes, either. and I have no idea. I can't what remember the music a single is. song. So that's, that's no idea. Fun. I have no idea what Brad Pitt's naked to. I don't remember. Oh yeah. I would encourage you not to watch clips of the movie or the trailer until you just actually okay. sit down and watch the movie. In. There, there are a number of surprises that I think you'll uh-huh. you'll be glad are just true surprises. Cool, because I don't remember really. I saw the movie, but I I don't really remember other than just liking it and the the end and stuff. Yeah, I'm excited. That's a cool pick, and uh, yeah, um, hopefully it uh, you know it, it it encourages people to vote so that our episode will be more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Selma and Louise are going fishing. How come Daryl let you go? Because I didn't ask him. <laughs> He's going to kill you. I left him a note. <laughs> Thelma and Louise are going to catch hell. If you're getting in deeper every moment you're gone. You want to step back and get in your car again, please? Now, I swear, three days ago, neither one of us would have ever pulled a stunt like this, but if you was able to meet my husband, you'd understand why. What? Louise, shoot the radio. The police radio, Louise. Got it. Thelma and Louise. Hey, like the vacation so far. <laughs> We'll be back in two weeks with a regular episode of the Perfect Movie Soundtrack talking about the music and the movie Thelma and Louise. You may or may not have noticed that last week we posted a little extra bonus from the Scream episode, something that didn't make the episode, but we thought would be fun to share with you. We posted that on YouTube and added a link to the show description as well. And we might do that again this week. Uh, We've got a couple odds and ends that might go up there as well. We'll see. In the meantime, you can always check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TPMS Podcast. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from.
Until next time, for Matt and Heather, this is Joshua. Thanks for listening.